Oi, oi, bonjour, que tal, namaste, uh, Film God podcast listeners. Thank you so much for, for checking in and listening and, and downloading and leaving the reviews. It all really, really means the world to me. Um, my second shout out, I want to, I want to say a, a mass, a, I just want to send love just pure unadulterated love to Matthew and Faye at Visor Art Department who weeks ago started making visors from their home on their kitchen table um, for our key workers and they've now raised over 30 grand to buy materials and you know big love to them thank you for helping our key workers and also thank all the people that have helped you on your journey so go check them out on the Instagram, Visor Art Department. There's a link to their Just Giving page. Do what you can. It's all for a good cause. We love you. We love you all. Have a cracking day. And big love. Let's get started. Hola, film family. I'm Isusko, your host, a.k.a. The Time Scheduler. And I'd like to welcome you to the Film Gods Podcast. It's a chat with the crew who make all of those beautiful moving images you watch every day. And I want to thank all the past guests and future guests because without them, this would be really boring. And to you listen at home and on your walks or wherever you are, you're all a part of this. So thank you for coming on this journey with me. Let's see where it can go. And wherever you're listening on this beautiful planet of ours, I hope you enjoy. Big love. Um, so hello from family, another fantastic episode is just about to go through your speakers and into your ears. Um, this man looks cool, is cool, is great at his job. And I'm, sh- I swear to God, we were like, we were sword bucklers, sword bushlers, sword bucklers in a past sword life. Sword bushlers. Sword bushlers. <laughs> we were, you know, I kind of just, this man just oozes love and it's just an amazing person to be on set. And I'm just so happy that he's fucking said yes. So, so what is your name and what do you do? So my name is Julian White. Uh, I'm a gaffer, which is technically uh, is the uh, colloquial term, but actually the chief lighting technician for films and commercials. And so what does that mean for you? What does that mean to you? What, what are you doing on a day to day? Day to day, well, it depends on what the, uh, the the job is, but obviously uh, on commercials and things like that, it's organising the crew, organising the lighting, dealing with the DOP, mm-hmm. working out a schematic for how we do it, when we do it, you know, dealing with the lighting companies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. On a movie, which is obviously a much longer process, it uh, starts three months before, and you end up, you know, reading a script, working out the schedule, trying to create a, a creative scheme, I guess, and trying to work out what you do need and what you don't need, most importantly. And actually, the bits that you don't need sometimes are more important than the bits that you do need. I know that's a sort of a, a negative equation, but also mm. it means that it's like sculpture in a way. You start with a big possibility of something and you have to try and carve out what you're going to end up with. Nice. And then also on a movie, it's a much slower pace in a way, in the sense of it's more like a juggernaut, whereas a commercial is more like a, a smaller vehicle that you're driving quicker. So the problems come quicker and the solutions have to be dealt with quicker. Nice. So uh, that the, my parameters of job title, you know, at the very basic is just organizing the crew, organizing the lighting, moving the logistics of things moving around. Uh, and then what I really love is the creative bit. But obviously that's not 
how would you say you can still be a gaffer without being a creative person mm. or without being creative in lighting but obviously it's uh, for me personally it's a huge part of it and what does being creative in the lighting team mean what are you trying to do there well kind of working hand in hand with the dop director of photography and trying to work out really sort of manifest their vision and also liaise with them through the well through liaise with the director through them and trying to form some kind of um uh, mood some kind of idea of how a how you're going to do it logistically what you mm. what uh, instruments you need to do that but then also um projecting you know sometimes months in ahead of what you uh, how you're going to play it and obviously then whatever happens uh, if you're not shooting um, in uh, consecutive order in chronological order is trying to maintain that throughout the movie and then also dealing with problems which come up on a day-to-day basis of you know things that break down things that don't arrive things that do arrive what can you work with what can't you work with and eventually, as I say, like sculpture, I think actually pair away all the stuff that you don't need. So you're left with a much more, much more defined uh, vision of, uh, of the, the, the film itself. Nice. And on a film, that structure that you have, how does it work? You know, it's like I know the first AD runs the schedule, runs the floor. Second AD does the cast, all the rest of it. Yeah. How does it work in the lighting team? Are you Do you like to be hands on with the nitty-gritty the i's and the t's or you just how do you like to play it? i i i i think i i sort of i'm a more of a conductor i guess i you know we set up a stuff so you start off with a script obviously uh, mm-hmm. and then you obviously have a feel and then you obviously have some maybe references which have come from the script or from the direct so from the director or the art director so the production design etc etc and you uh, really you know you start planning from that point then obviously you start and get your key people into place so you have a Regan gaffer mm-hmm. you have your best boy who runs the floor or runs the uh, offices a Regan gaffer will be your really most important factor because they set up your they're they're a bit like your prep chef they you know they'll be okay. there getting your stuff ready you know you have a you have an idea of what you want to taste as an understanding and obviously those connections are very important so if you, you don't have those um, uh, those sort of uh, steps in place, it can backfire on you. I personally love sort of broad strokes, a bit like painting or cooking or anything that's creative in that sense. You do broad strokes, you have an idea, you kind of think what you want and you want you have a taste for something, which is either determined by what meal you're going to produ- produce or what film you're going to produce or what, nice. um, yeah. uh, uh, you know, what painting you're going to... You have an idea, but that's mm-hmm. only that's all you have at the beginning. And then it's really just trying to form that into something a bit more credible and a bit more practical, obviously, because you've got financial situations and implications. So it's really the pyramid. You know, I stand at the top of my pyramid. So I've, you know, I'm in charge on the floor. Yeah. But I then have to delegate quite a lot of um, thoughts, information, ideas down to my guys. And during the process of shooting, keep adapting that. And so, you know, we go, oh, we haven't got enough lights to do that. So we have to come up with another thing. And that's that's very exciting and interesting, but also it can be very time consuming. So it takes up a lot of your time in management. Uh, you know, then I have to sort of run a floor. I choose electricians who I like, who are good at their job, but also good people, uh, you know, uh, empathetic. Yeah. But they work together with the other crew and that they're, they're mm-hmm. not kind of just going to be um, doing something else when they should be doing their job. Mm. And it's quite a, so it's it's time management, it's people management, it's it's uh, equipment management, and if you can get through all that as quickly as possible, 
and you can trust all those people and you set that up properly, then you can do your job, which really is creating uh, a mood for the film, you know, which is where I love what I love. And I love those things that come up last minute where you're like, oh, how are we going to do that? And, nice. um, you know, that's when you're really thinking on your feet. And it's, I think actually that's the secret of good anything. I think it's being able to deal with, uh, juggle all the balls, keep them all up in the air, but know that certain ones have certain weight, certain ones have certain uh, abilities and others don't. And it's the unknowns which you have to deal with. Uh, that's where your real creative and your experience comes in because you have to deal with things very quickly and make mm. snap decisions which have huge effect, which obviously when you're trying to prepare something that has got to be delivered on time, you have to be smart about it. You know, you've got to You've got to be creative in many ways than things. Also... One thing I have always found in the in the film industry is you have to have almost carry two opposing thoughts at the same time, which some people find quite difficult in ordinary life, where you mm -hmm. keep the thing that you know is going to happen and the thing you don't know is going to happen, and you have to try and juggle them and possibly just lose one instantly without worrying about it and come up with a whole new plan, which is a brain, uh, you know, uh, that practice brain exercise in itself. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's practice because you know. You know, there's, there's certain things you do know will happen. There's certain things you don't know will happen, but you can't worry about the things that you don't know are going to happen until they happen. Mm. If that makes sense. So it's but you're kind, kind of, of negative. prepped for them. Yeah, yeah. Well, mentally, you have to be prepped. Yeah, you yeah. have to be, and physically. So you know your tools, you know what you've got in the fridge, you know what you've got ready, you know what you, but you know certain things you'll always need. So you have to be ready for those naturally. And mm. then all the other things you have to just keep bubbling around in your head. And sometimes the location goes down and an actor doesn't turn up you know things that you just have to go right and this is how we're going to think about it but it's quite i think a lot of people in the normal world would find that quite difficult because they're like you know again if you say yeah. now you're cooking a meal is it five people coming is it 20 people how many are vegetarians have you got the right uh, <laughs> have you got the right food the right ingredients do you have the time do you have yeah, the money yeah. all those things you know yeah. and at the end you have to serve up something and people go oh that was really tasty and you know, how do you do it and you go well you know just you know Throw it together, you know what it's secret. like. Secret, it's my yeah. secret. But you know, I've always, I've always used food or cooking as an analogy because yeah. actually, you don't really think about uh, intellectualized food. You just go, I'm hungry. I need to do something. I end up, you look in the fridge, see what you've got, run down mm. the shops, whatever you need to do. Yeah, get that sorted out. You know, so. Amazing. Now, you, you know, being a creative person, is that something mm. that? you started being you know what was your let's just start at the beginning then what what do how did you get into the film game and what was your first starting was your foot in well i studied fine art i did three years at liverpool art college and i studied painting but i also in my second year started doing performance art and video with a, a good friend of mine and we didn't we didn't really have an expectation so we just built stuff and designed stuff and performed stuff and it was you know we didn't have any money so you just had to make it up as you went along then uh, when I left art college, I needed work and uh, I was married with a child and needed, you know, employment. Uh, I'd done some concert lighting at the Blue Coat uh, Performing Arts Centre. Mm -hmm. And again, we would, um, you know, we'd turn up in the morning, a band turned up, we'd light a stage, design a stage, perform, uh, you know, run the show and take it down all in one day. It was a very, uh, wow. it was a very quick and uh, res responsive situation. Yeah. And again, no money. So you have to come up with ideas very quickly. And that's creativity. You know, that's mm. the art of it. Uh, when I left there, I ended up working um, in Brookside doing props really? for about a year or so, which I didn't enjoy for various reasons. It and just, just for a time think, frame, are you kind of early 20s, late teens? What just Early 20s, early okay. 20s, 21, 22. Yeah. So it's 1989, that kind of thing. So kind of live into TV. 
and props. That's a surprising thing for me. Well, props was just uh, somebody went, oh, you work, you're an artist, you know, you should be working in the art department. <laughs> and I was the wrong person. I, I didn't find it artistic at all because yeah. actually, and with all due respect to a lot of props guys, it's not, certainly in, in you know, soap operas, it, you don't doing a lot of stuff. It's moving ashtrays around and yeah, preparing yeah. some stuff. And I'm not, I just didn't find it challenging enough. Anyway, yeah. I then left, moved abroad and moved to Spain for three years, carried on painting. And then when I came back, I started working again with performing arts and doing, um, videos for people and things like that. again low budget but mm -hmm. again you cut your teeth by not being by being inventive by being creative you know and i was very good at that i very kind of very natural then uh probably what were you doing on those jobs when you came back i was doing video work i was doing lighting i was doing okay. everything you know performing yeah, yeah. it was a kind of a, a band of people who did uh performing arts in a very you know music politics uh video video shows mm -hmm. All kinds of stuff i mean there was no everybody changed around you know you could always do one thing one day you're just sorting out food i mean it was just one of those things oh, yeah. so it's kind of a mini version of the film industry in that sense and i really enjoyed it i found it very natural and then people were like oh that's really good what you did and i kind of was so again you're getting a feed the feedback loop is you're doing something people enjoying it you're enjoying it and it goes round and round and you build on that your confidence grows hmm. then i met somebody who was doing a short film um electrician he said oh we're looking for uh, electricians to work on a film in leicester called dirty british boys about uh, pakistani gangsters and i was like oh yeah well that doesn't sound great and there was no pay it was a freebie i was like eh, not really yeah. but i was i just was uh, i think i wanted to be i wanted to earn more money i wanted to paint i wanted to carry on in the thing that i was doing but make you know a living out of it yeah. So I took a, a punt on it and did it and enjoyed it, but it was a terrible experience in a way. But the thing I learned about it was I didn't find it difficult. I didn't have any expectations of being in the film industry, so I had no, nothing to be disappointed about. It was always mm. a step in the right direction. Yeah. And, I, and I think I maybe was lucky, but also, you know, I just managed to see through all that. And then my name got passed to Lee Lighting, who are now longer, no longer a company, but they then put me out on small uh, bigger jobs to test me out and seem to do okay and you know i messed up a few things i'm not going to deny i wasn't i was very oh, learning green in that sense yeah but it, well that's the thing and i say to young people is like it's not about what you know because the film industry is a great thing is you learn by doing it and that's the only way to learn you can't mm. go to film school to learn to be a gaffer you know that's the only way you do it is by stepping out and making steps every day and learning and feeding back into your brain and reading and watching films and understanding what you're doing hmm. again like cooking it's about it's a taste you know people some people can do it and other people don't and there's not i don't see how you can educate so you can teach somebody how to chop vegetables you can teach them how to prep but the taste thing is very personal hmm. and painting anything creative is just that you get it and if you don't get it you can learn it but you can't creativity is a very important thing because it's a non-discernible thing so so you know you everybody can have the same ingredients for a meal but they'll all come up with certain with different flavors because of how much uh, seasoning they put in it oh, i'm loving so this I food just, analogy i'm uh, like you're yeah, getting me hungry as well it's like everybody, everybody <laughs> understands food um yeah. so i always found it very natural and i kind of yeah. just so anyway and then also because i'm not particularly i'm not a um I don't come from a trades background. I didn't learn to, you know, I was an electrician. I wasn't, uh, I hadn't, I didn't have any training. So I was kind of a blank canvas in that mm. sense. So I found that quite, uh, it's not exciting, but inspirational. I, it, not inspirational, what's the word? Um, 
it helped me just sort of not muddle things up. I just was, it was quite, I found it quite straightforward. Mm. And actually, I, my biggest problem, I think, in the beginning was I felt that I didn't know enough and I always felt a little bit insecure about it. But after, you know, at one point I'd done 12 feature films and I was like, dude, you obviously got it. <laughs> I mean, you know, no, you can always, we always, we yeah. always learn. And yeah. So you should, but you don't, you don't, you only learn by doing it. So you have to keep pushing out and learning by thinking and doing and feeding back, tasting. You know, it's kind of a, it's a constant loop and it goes on forever. You know, that never stops. It's like a coil, a coil of, of learning, you know. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You, well, you do, you know, again, you make a food, you taste it. If you don't taste it, how do you know what it tastes like? So you have yeah. to keep tasting it. You add more. Next time you go, eh, I shouldn't have done that. I should have done this. And all those things always come into play and everything you do in, in anything, whether it's, you know, even children, it's like, oh, you know, you kind of learn next time. I won't do that. Not because the child's bad, but you just, yeah, yeah. they didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it. It was bad. So we don't do it next time. And you, yeah. you sort of, um, you, you, you know, you, you steer your boat in different directions according mm. to uh, what you're doing. And then you also in the film industry, you have to deal with a lot of people and egos and all those things. So it's, and I was very, one thing that uh, really helped me is I, in the in the early 90s my brother and father died in the same year and i went through a okay. bit of a not a crisis in the sense of but i had a you know i had to reinvent myself i kind yeah. of went through a lot of difficult times and it taught me not to stress too much about it and i mm. always was like why are people getting so stressed about it it's only a movie mm. and i know people say that it's only commercial but it's like but that's your job mm. but it's maintaining a certain amount of objectivity and being in it and outside of it at the same time, that's quite difficult for a lot of people because people yeah. get very stressed out and they they fascinate on certain things. And it's a I'll tell you what I used to do when I was very starting out, when people were running around in chaos, I'd just climb up a ladder and watch everybody. And I found it very it was a bit like being an umpire. You could stand above <laughs> 15 it, and, it and, <laughs> and just go, You people are crazy. Yeah, and, and just be a bit more it's being objective and, and mm. I'm not saying that I've always like that. I do get stressed out. I do get yeah, wrapped course. up in the whole thing Yeah, yeah. because sometimes you do, you just have to, but there's a certain thing of just going, yep, it doesn't matter that much. And I think that gives you a certain, um, uh, you know, a certain objectivity, which can't mm. be bored. You just have to have it. But I think going through the crisis, it made me realize that actually the stuff that we're doing is important, but it's not that important. We're, you know, yeah. like what's going on now, we're not saving lives. We're just, fulfilling a, a gap a distraction in the, somebody's day and it's yeah. you know storytelling is important very much so but it's finding again on a long feature film you can't fascinate on every single thing you have to play the orchestra you have to see it stand away from it and see it in a big in a wider vision mm. and i think that helped me a lot when i was younger because i wasn't like that i was very kind of um, into the slightly, detail well yeah a bit too much into detail and also a little bit obsessive about things and also uh what's um you know, that I would be a perfectionist and you can't mm. be a perfectionist. Sometimes you have to let it go yeah. and allow things to happen. And the accident turns into the incident. So let it be. Nice. And it, something might, might nice come out of it. And I've mm. worked with a lot of directors, especially younger, who do get really fixated on it. And you go, you have to let it go. You've just lost an hour because you're worried about a bit of something. And you kind of yeah. go, it, people won't, you know, we, I think as also as film people, we, um, fascinate on things that other people just don't see mm. they're like i didn't see that and you go really because all i was wondering is was you know it's like i sit with my partner watching tv and i go did you see that and she goes nope and i'm because i'm 
You dissect it. I dissect it. Yeah. You can't, you can't, once you're in the frame, you can't get out of it. And it's when you see a movie that you don't dissect, it's usually when it's good. Yes. Because you're not worried about the imperfections. You just let Mm. it go. And I think there's a great beauty in that. I think there's a great beauty in people just doing, you know, there's the magic of cinema in a way. It's just letting the accident become an incident, using it to your advantage and not stressing about it. And, and it also, because that pervades, if that pervades a a system or a group of people, it can get very, it then puts everybody on edge and Mm. they don't, do their best work actually it's kind of being you know uh, you don't want to see behind this well yes and i think the first you know the first rule of not panicking is don't panic you know because there's better things there's bigger things to do and and again the situation we're in at the moment people are well did panic much more at the beginning yeah but you kind of just have to let you know take a deep breath and try and see through that and that's very important yeah, that first so, um, week when it all started going into lockdown, there was a lot of WhatsApp yeah, groups set up and Facebook pages set up yeah, and there was yeah, a lot yeah. of yeah, panic. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah. and as you said, maybe that kind of having gone through something where, that you know, it's like losing a, a, a brother and a father that close yes. together. Maybe that's it kind of resets your kind of like what's important factor. Yeah, well, you, you have children, you know, when, yeah. when you're younger, you're like, oh, and then when you have kids, things change. Your, yeah. your, fu- your, your fundamental life attitudes change very differently and you mm. don't and you when you're a kid and you talk to your parents it's a very different view your perspective and i think that's the thing that i learned was to be objective and be a bit more and recently i went through cancer the same thing i just mm-hmm. was like ah oh, this is this is uh, you know i do believe that when you're in crisis actually you've got a great it's a great time and i think a lot of people don't see that because they're too worried about the crisis but actually if you again step back a little bit you can see the good things in it and, you know, you have to mourn to a certain extent the bad thing, the things that you've lost. But if you spend too much time mourning the things you've lost, you won't appreciate things you have. So, again, nice. it's an opposable, it's uh, cognitive dissonance. You're, you're holding two opposing thoughts at the same time. You know, without black, there is no white. And without light, there's no dark. And without death, there's no life. So you've got to accept that. Um, oh, dude, you should write a book. Like you just, I would read this, but I'd just be like, "This, I love it. I love well, it." Well, you know, wisdom, wisdom comes through experience, isn't it? Yeah, until you've done something you don't know, so you can only mm. surmise what it's going to be like. And again, within the film industry, you have to project forward and go, "Well, it's going to be like that on this day." And you go, "We well, don't know, do you? You don't know what the weather's going to be like. You don't know things change so much, and you just have to sort of ride that to a certain extent." And life experience is the same thing. You can't. You know, you you just have to take it the rough with the smooth, and you know, find your way and surf it and ride the wave and all those things that we all talk about. But it's a very true, and I think it's mm. I think it's a valuable lesson that I learned very young, which I was very happy in retrospect that I did learn because it set me apart a little bit. Nice, and you 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 kind of mentioned the 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 last year that you've had. Is has that has that been something that has been a learning curve or have you, you know, is it just something that's just another part of living life? It's part. Yes. I think it's part of living life. I think when my uh, oncologist told me I had cancer and I had to take six weeks off for radiotherapy, my first thought was not that I was going to die. It was that how the hell am I going to survive financially? You know? Yeah. And uh, again, you have to kind of just brace yourself and work out day by day, how things are going to work. And it, and the experience I had in the nineties, it was very much a, a, a memory of that it was like, well, I got through that and get mm. through this, uh, whether it killed me or not is another thing. That's not my, you know, I couldn't control that to a certain, but it's yeah. how I deal with the day to day living and having a strong 
strong partner and a strong unit within your life is very important. Again, I think that what I saw in the early days was there was a lot of drug taking, a lot of alcohol abuse, a lot of people having affairs, not, you know, not, not settling into themselves and, and using movie making and the film industry as a distraction for the mm. fact that they're not happy. And I, I've gone through all those experiences to come out the other side, knowing, and again, knowing what you can eliminate in your life, what you should eliminate in your life. And we all, you know, you try and be good to people and you try and cajole people and you try and be honest to people and you try and be uh, loyal to people. And that doesn't always work. But you And I'm a great, I'm very sensitive to that. And I was always a great mourner of, uh, that person didn't work it out. And I kind of cancelled, made me realize I'm 53. I'm like, you know, what, 20 years, 30 years left of my life. I'm like, I can't, I can't wait around right. and be worried about the people because actually most people just worry about themselves and not in a, in a selfish way. It's just, that's the, what you do is you have to, they have to feed themselves. They have to have their own mortgage. So if that's what they're into and that's what they want then let that be, you know, it's a, it's a constant daily, not struggle, but a, a daily influence. It's a daily thing you have to deal with. And, and we all have our own motivations. You know, it's kind of, some people, I, I love making movies. I love creating things. I love cooking. Mm. I love, you know, but I love eating. So it's kind of a, if I don't cook, I can't eat. Yeah. And does, does kind of, ha- is there a sense of clarity that comes from going through things? You know, we, we are, you know, you kind of mentioned it's like when you started, there was a lot of, and even now you kind of hear about people going on films and it's like second partner, third partner, you know. Yeah. Do, yeah. Is there, is there, a, is it just something that's just innate in the industry? Is it just that's that's just kind of what happens, or is it? Well, I think the industry is a rarefied bubble. That's the problem. Is we go into a studio or go into a film, we're with sixty people, hundred people, da, 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 da. everybody's you know mucking in and doing their thing. And of course, relationships are formed between not just you know in the sense of um, male female, but just relationships with people, and you mm. build trust and confidence and you know, uh, love and hate and all those things. And do I need help emotionally, physically, spiritually? That person will help me. That person won't. That person's good for me. That person isn't. So, of course, within that, there is always a, a possibility of falling through that crack and ending up in a situation which isn't good. Yeah. Well, only because if you stay in the bubble, that's fine. It's when you leave the bubble. It's, you know, you can go into outer space for six months with somebody, have a relationship with them. It's when you come home. It's when you land back on Earth. It's a problem. And inevitably, you yeah. have to return. Yeah, you know, you otherwise you've not travelled. You've only just you're still travelling. And how do you become? How do you you know? Say I saw you went on. You did a, a feature film, and it was it felt like it took you around the world for a little bit. How do you come back and mm. come and normalise? Well, I, what I've done is me and, me and my partner go together, so there's no bubble. The oh, bubble is us. Yeah. So when we return home, there's we return home together, and I think that's been a, an absolute. Uh, transcendent experience for me actually in the past 10 years because yeah. I used to go to Thailand for six months or three months or four months to get into very stressful situations you know I did a film with Werner Herzog in Thailand it was one of the most stressful films I've ever done it's mm. you're out of your element you haven't got people around you that you know or maybe you feel that like you can trust so of course you form bonds with people mm. and cling to them to a certain extent desperately but what you what I've learned to do or we've learned to do is go together so we both travel together, Brilliant. we both enjoy the experience together, and we both then relate. And it's a bit like going on two people who are together, going on separate holidays, and you go, oh, you should have been there. Yeah, well, I wasn't. How was it? Yeah, it was all right, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, did you go out? Yeah, once, twice. You know, there's but always it's a... It's a nice there, release there's, there's now, a bit, at the end of the day, I guess. 
Yes. Well, in the set, yes, I come home. To, I, you know, the guys, all the other guys come home and they're, they come home to an empty hotel room. So what do you do? Let's go to the bar. And I'm like, I don't sit around in bars drinking normally. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not that guy. Some people do. And that's fine. I've got, I'm not judging them for it, but I don't. That's not what I want. I'd rather go out for a dinner with my partner. And, you know, and I also spend a lot of time with other departments because I spend all the time with my own department. So, mm. again, it's not personal. I just want to spend time with other people and get a different perspective. And again, yeah, I think that comes back to the the problem with the industry. It's a singular perspective. We're in a bubble. We're in a rarefied atmosphere. We're on our on our own in a group of people, if you know what I mean. And then, mm. you know, all the stuff that's coming out on Facebook at the moment of photographs and stuff like that, it's all fa- it's fantastic. But it's also separate from your real life, if you yeah. know what I mean. And not many people have that. If you're, if you're in the army, maybe, or you're in a, uh, you know, in a hospital or something like that, where you have intense pressure you have all that banter and you have all that uh, affection and all that trust and all that thing coming home. People go, how was it? You know, if you come home from a war, your partner says, how was it? You can't explain. That. Yeah. Somebody it's impossible. You just mm-hmm. go, uh, it was really difficult and you're changed, but they're not. So your perspective has changed, but those haven't. And that's the problem. And I think people get dislocated and it's obviously easier to spend time with the pers- person who's had the same perspective because you have a knowledge a joint yeah. bond which you don't have with your partner but i think it's a really difficult thing to navigate and i think you have to spend a lot of time on it which is difficult because you're not having got you haven't got a lot of time plus you have children mm. you know all those other things to deal with it's like it's very difficult and that's why actually in this time now is the peace there's a gap between the war and we should enjoy that and, and revel in it not go oh when are we going to battle again i'm like we've done a lot of battle yeah you know and we will survive financially i'm absolutely sure of that it's difficult it's not possible uh, it's not impossible it's just problematic you know? mm-hmm. and i just want to go back a couple of steps just because i want to see if this has had an impact but you mentioned starting off you kind of did fine art does that mm. fine art background and not kind of growing up as an electrician route does mm. that, has that mm. changed or do you think that that's had some sort of uh, advantage of being a lighting well again again perspective objectivity i wasn't i'm not the guy to talk about technology i just i don't it's not that i don't like it it's necessary but it's not imperative you know it's a bit like you don't need to know how to drive a race to how to fix a racing car build a racing car to drive it you need Mm -hmm. to know what tires you have what the course is etc etc and your experience is how you deal with that at that moment one thing fine art, I think, always or painting or art in general taught me is how to be creative with very little. Mm. You can actually, you, you know, if you're in prison and you had a piece of paper and a pencil, you can still make a drawing. Yeah. You don't need oil paints. You don't need an easel. You don't need any of those things. And actually, you know, Terry Waite was talking about being in isolation for years and he wrote a book in his head. I mean, how amazing is that? You wow. can actually create a book in your head. And again, going back, I think everybody gets into the whole size of things and technology and plant you know cranes and all that stuff and actually if you can't tell a story by telling somebody face to face or sitting around a campfire then there's no point because if you can't start with that kernel of a story and Mm. expand upon it then the story's not going to work so at the very least you know you work on films and you just go that's you know that's not a story that people want it it's not a story being told properly because it's just it's overburdened with visual effects or the actor's ego or the director's ego or the too many egos or not enough ego. I don't know. And it's very difficult. And you, you see directors who are very experienced and they know how to do it. And you think, wow, that's, that's really smart. You know, that's Mm. 50 years of hardcore experience that they've learned. And you see young people do it 
and because they haven't got the experience can float through it and be very like oh i don't know so it's kind of like there's a beginner's luck and there's also uh you know the grandfather who's done it many many times who will tell you you know not to do that because you're going to ruin the source and that's the experience that you know and that's the thing that your grandmother will have when she's cooking a meal that she's done it hundreds of thousands of times so of yeah. course she knows not to put that ingredient in at that point mm. you're going to ruin it whereas a young person would be like yeah just chuck it all in you go no sometimes what you hold back on and what you don't put in is more important than what you do put in nice. and there was a very famous cinematographer called james wong howe from the 50s and 60s who his thing and, and it's, i find it very true he said that sometimes the light the, the most important is the one that you don't switch on and you go, well, how does that work? And you go, well, because, you know, we have to have, again, that's what my reference darkness and light is. You mm. can't have one without the other. So if everything's light lit all the time, then there's no shadow. There's no, and people have imaginations. They can fill in the blanks. Yeah. And that's very important. Well, I saw, um, it blew my think, mind, the art of the art of that lighting. We were doing this, we were doing a commercial. It was last year or year before. We were like second unit and we just needed some mm. close-up faces. And we just, we were, we were miles away. We couldn't get any gear. Mm. And the DP, it was like a, a, a torch a bit of poly mm. and an yeah. iPad. And I'm like, there you go. But you, like, yeah, what? Yeah. <laughs> truckloads, there's truckloads like of equipment. Two yeah. trucks and stuff around there. And that, and that just, yeah. that kind of did blow my mind with it. Cause you know, I look at, you know, from an AD's perspective, it's, it's about time and how long will that light take the yes. thing and how long, yes. but actually it's like when you're lighting a scene, is there something that in your gut you go, I think I'm done. I'm going to talk to them. Yes. Or do you just like, yeah. no, I need to tweak something before I yes. get a heads yes. off. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and, you know, that boils down to insecurity, yep. boils down to ego, all those things. But, you know, the guys who've been doing it a long time, the ones who are really, I think, very well, you know, you can be finicky and you can be pedantic about things and be like, no, no, I need that exactly the way it is, because, you know, you know, that ingredient is the right one for what you've done because you've done it many times. I think the problem with younger people is they get into this whole thing of like, I'm not a good DOP unless I've got loads of gear. Mm. And that doesn't make sense because actually, what you're doing through your life well maybe it does because you start out like that and then you learn hopefully to get rid of stuff because you just it's a waste of time and when a producer goes do you really need those you go no and it's but that's quite difficult that's a difficult call to make because yeah. you're projecting something you're not quite sure about mm. so i you know working with very experienced dops you just go wow you just got a you know a very simple light and bounce it into some bed sheet on a wall you know, is that and everybody, is that something that that great DOPs can do? Is just actually just are able to simplify very quickly. Do they yes, start they at know, nothing and then build, or do you kind of fill the whole room and then take away? No, I think you. Well, it depends because the scene evolves, but I think um, you know you just have your trusted, tried tools that you know will work, hmm. and you know that they're simple and cheap and quick. And then the ones that you really need to spend time on, and you know, there's other times you need really expensive high tech gear that can only do that job. But that's, mm. you know, so it's it's a constantly evolving thing that you push into one section or not and into the other. But again, if you look at chefs, I don't think they have huge amounts of equipment. They just have a set of knives because they know they're their knives. Yeah, and they, they have all and they have all their experience, you know. Mm. And it's really years ago i worked as a waiter and he was a young french waiter uh, chef and i you know the one of the tables said oh i really like the soup and i you know what's in it and i went to the chef and he exploded in rage you know i will not give away my secrets and i was like i kind of went but you know we can all sit down you take five people you give them exactly the same ingredients it's yeah. how you mix them up what you leave out what you put in what season you do and i said to him you could have just left out one of the ingredients they would never know your secret and actually your secret is you 
yeah. it's you are the chef and how you mix it up. And I think that's a valuable lesson that we all get a little bit. There's a ego is a big problem and we all have one. Uh, mm -hmm. It's how you deal with things and, and keeping a little bit back for yourself. I think keeping a little bit of that unknown. How do you do that? I just did it. It's That's like a shrug of the show. Ladies and gents, if you're listening to this on the podcast, <laughs> at the intro yeah. that I just gave, I've got like the little shrug of the shoulder there. That's what I'm talking about. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing isn't it that's it. that's yeah, when yeah. you go wow that was amazing how do you know that's the turn yeah, of yeah. the it's the dancer's turn of the foot that makes all the difference and the difference between greatness and average is just being in sync with that in yourself mm. and i think yeah. that's very important but you have to you, that's a constantly evolving thing you can never say oh, i read it in a book because that's that's you are the secret let me put it that way that you oh. as a person standing in the center of that thing that you're doing is the secret and it, that can go from you know, I don't want to be flippant, but it can go from the guy who's fixing the toilets to the guy who's running the show. It's it's the producer goes, oh, you know, we've got to do something. And he doesn't run in the studio screaming, panicking. Well, he shouldn't. He just goes, yeah, we'll work it out. And behind the scenes, he's probably like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Yeah. But it's how you play that and how you feel that and how you do it. And I think really every person who's ever been seen as a great, you know, I'm sure Churchill in the war went into this bunker and went, oh my God, we're doomed. <laughs> but came out going, you know, it's going to be all right. And yeah. because he had faith to a certain extent in his capabilities. Amazing. And I think that's a very, uh, you know, I think people fascinate too much on uh, technology and, you know, that we need all these things when a much simpler thing will do and it'll save you time, money, you know, uh, effort, et cetera, et cetera. Nice. And having, having now been doing what you do for so long, and obviously it's it's very clear that you still love doing it is there a little is there a point or is there a little nugget or is there one of your little secrets that you would tell yourself is there like advice for your younger self and if there is when when would you give it and what would it be uh, that's quite difficult um well i think i've really covered it in a way i think it's just mm. be be yourself you know and i know everybody gets oh be yourself you know follow your own path but it's true i think you have to but that comes through just I think my thing was I spent a lot of time thinking somebody's gonna tap me on the shoulder and say mate you have you're, you're not here you know you shouldn't be here go out you know I think they call it imposter syndrome yes and it took me a while to get over that probably 10 years and it but it always kept me in check it was always like uh, really think about things think mm. about it and also don't my thing was and I've always done this is just think laterally about things you know don't fascinate on one little thing take another perspective um as far as advice giving back is yeah maybe I know you know, shouldn't have worried about being an imposter. I just just should have gone with it a bit better and not. But I think there's also within the lighting industry there can be a lot of not one-upmanship, but a lot of competition about oh this person doesn't know this and therefore they're no good. But actually, you know, and I go, it took me like you know I'd done twelve feature films before I'd gone. No, you know, I think you're here to stay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and not sweat it. And I, I think you know being, I think also not chasing money so much would have been a better thing as as. I'm not a money chaser in a sense, but don't get wrapped up too much in the in the money situation because actually mm. it's an abstract and it won't necessarily save you. Again, people got big houses, three cars, you know, all that. Now we've financially, the economy's hitting the ground. Everybody's panicking because they've maybe overstretched. And it's just, mm. you know, be, I think, yeah, just don't sweat it too much. It's, it's at the end of the day, it's only a movie. Yeah, nice. And on these, on these movies that you've gone on and the journeys that you've gone with people, are there little stories that you've got anything that, that you kind of like to pass on any, anything that's poignant or funny or. 
Well, I t- I'll tell you one thing. I did a film with Peter O'Toole uh, before he died, obviously before he died, uh, late, late in his career called Venus. And Roger Michel, who's a very good director, I think, always is like, I don't, he, he had a heart attack. I think he was in Captain Corelli's Mandolin and he had a heart attack and he couldn't complete the job. And he was getting very frustrated, I think, with the, the overweight burden of movie making with trailers mm. and, yeah. you know, all the people that you have to drag along with you. And again, it sounds wrong with the dragging along, but it's like sometimes you go, really, do you need, does everybody need all that? Do we really need all this stuff? Do we, yeah. you know, because everybody brings more than they need. Yeah. And Peter O'Toole, who was, you know, in the very late uh, part of his career, I mean, just an amazing man, was basically given a little work tent to sit in. You know, we're in Trafalgar Square shooting outside the National Gallery. Inside that little tent was a a 70-year-old man who'd broken his hip the Christmas before, was, uh, you know, a major celebrity around the world. Everybody knew him. And people were just walking past with no idea. And it was just sitting there reading in a, in the little ten, you know, with a heater, and I was like, "That's pretty cool." Mm. And I, I kind of think, you know, you can, you can be, you don't have to. That's insecurity. You don't need all that stuff if you don't want it. Don't take it. Mm. Um, other things, you know, working with Werner Herzog was a, obviously a great experience, a very interesting <laughs> experience in the jungle uh, with Christian Bale, and I found that endlessly fascinating. It was very stressful, but again, you know, there's a. Uh, I don't know. Again, it's like it's just. There's, the ego thing really is quite distracting sometimes. I think it's just too much. Uh, other funny things, I mean, there's, I don't know, there's loads. I can't think of one that didn't, instantly pops to mind. But it's just being, it's like going, oh, right, okay, yeah, you are. You know, it's like standing. I think there's film moments, actually. There's okay. film moments in, in your career where, and I was talking about it with a colleague years ago, is a film moment where you go, all oh, right, I'm in this place at this time with these people, and I would never have thought that. Do you know what I mean? You go, yeah wow that was quite special so it identifies you personally in that space that you have collectively but individually with all those people with you know major celebrities if that means anything to anybody but you're just it's kind of a you know sunrises sunsets exhausted after hard day's work and you just there's something that just clicks in your head and it goes yeah that was all worth it actually that was good you know that was worth all the stress and then other times obviously you do all that and then you watch the movie and go meh Maybe we shouldn't have bothered. Yeah, just got divorced for this film and it's not been... Yes, or the scene never makes it and all that people worried about stuff yeah. and the director or producer just goes, nah, I'm not doing it. And you're like, oh. You know, well, just diff- carried all these things up a mountain. I know, thing, I know. And they, and, about yes, exactly, and, and it's never... And then you go and watch the movie and they're waiting for that scene that you stressed about. They're just, yeah, we didn't like it, it didn't fit. No. Oh. Oh. Okay. oh, really? So, so, so having said that, actually mm. going backwards to yourself, if you're sitting in that screening and you would have said, well, why did you get so stressed about it? Because, well, everybody else was. And you go, why was everybody else was? Because it was so important. Well, why, if it was that important, why have they cut it out? Oh. Because it just doesn't fit. Yeah. And it doesn't fit the edit. It doesn't fit the character. It doesn't fit the thing. And so in a way, I always think on a movie set, there should be a person like an umpire who comes in Maybe it should be a producer, I don't know. Comes in and goes, do you really need that? You know, like a, a check. Like, a, is it really that yeah. important? Like, because we do fixate and I think we all get, you know, wrapped up in it and everybody's like, oh, and he goes, oh, yeah. I never see it. It's like and a I referee, a film crew referee. Yeah, like just, a, everyone starts yeah, stressing yeah. out, they just come in, they blow their yeah, whistle, yeah, yeah, yeah. they give someone a yellow card and it's like, right, yeah, exactly. one more of those and you're off this yeah, set, I don't yeah, care who you are. Exactly. 
years ago in, in script meetings in Hollywood, they used to have a thing called a wild card. Hmm. And uh, so uh, I think it's called a wild card. They, so they, somebody would sit on a, in, a, in a script meeting. When it got bogged down, they just put out some ridiculous supposition. Like, oh, maybe we should have an elephant in that scene. They'd be like, what? That's ridiculous. <laughs> but it would send everybody yeah, into yeah. a different tangent. Nice. So when everybody's getting locked into the cul-de-sac and going, oh, you know, you go, hold on a sec. No, we don't need it. And actually a good producer, I think, and there's, you know, Mark Huffman for one, would know, know so much about the script and know so much about what's going on and be so much in contact with his director that he would just come in and go, no, we can't do that. And not in a way of like negativity, you know, being balanced about it, but mm. being honest and straight about it and just going that's not going to happen because we just don't have time we don't have money we don't have this don't have the other so it's a bit it's like a realistic a realism check it's like a reality nice. checkpoint is what you need and i think that'd be very valuable in a, in a film set because we do we do get really blocked into into situations where we we can't so i think if anything in hindsight i'd be like yeah don't stress about it so much it's not it's going to work itself out nice. it's going to you know if only you could see the end before the beginning yeah hindsight you know and if if would that be kind of similar advice for the next generation of you know say we're out of covid now it's done we're thing everyone everything's yeah. back to not normal yeah. because normal. whatever but whatever that you is. know that next generation of filmmakers whether they want to be a dp or a, or a gaffer or a spark or yeah. a, what would yeah. you what would be your little thing little nugget of advice for them well I think yes, that would be. It. I think just just try and visualize it from the end, work backwards. You know, it's kind of again, it's an opposable thought. It's like you're holding the reality of what you're doing now to the 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 you know the the fact of the end product and how that's going to look, and you have to try and imagine both things at the same time. Again, it's like sculpture. You're like you face with a block of stone, and what's inside it, and where do you stop? You know, once you start channeling into that block, where does that arm appear? Where does it? Do you know what I mean? You're working yeah. on all sides equally mm. and you have to not, you have to maintain the vision of what the sculpture is going to be. But meanwhile, doing the hard work of chipping all the crap out to get to it. Mm. And I think you can't, if you lose the vision of what you're aiming at, then there's no point in starting in the beginning where you're channeling stuff out, you might as well smash it to bits, you know? So it's, it's a very, it's a very interesting, uh, not a conundrum, but like a, a it's a it's a it's a but i think that's true to life i think it's everything you do it's like you know everybody fi fi fixates about their kids school but actually yeah. you know you what you forget is that child is an unknown quantity mm. you might not like all that stuff you've given it so of course you give it the best thing that you can but you can't determine how it's going to end up but you try and uh, you know uh, you try and mold something but you can't mold. You've got to allow incident. You've got to allow those things yeah. to happen and, and be a bit. And I, I work with, you know, I, I'm 53. I work with 25 year old DOPs and they're like, oh, I'm getting very stressed out. And I go, it's going to be all right. We'll work something out, you know. But, but I think what you do is you have to free up your mind to allow that to be. Mm. Because if you don't, then you get stressed out. And it's like, you know, I've heard of other gaffers who get very, they make lighting plans and fixate about where things are. And I never do that. In fact, when I go on prep, I never really drew, I never do loads of plans. It's mostly in my head. Mm. And again, you know, you know, you need certain things and you create your own little stable of tools. So I think it's, yeah, keeping being part of being inside and outside at the same time, being me and we at the same time, being at the beginning, at the end, at the same time, maintaining that line of vision through something. It's difficult, but that's where experience is. And if you start that process, 
you will only gain confidence by completing it on a daily basis by you the loop keeps feeding back and you go that was good that was good that was good that works that was bad let's get rid of that let's not do that next time it's not worth the effort mm. you know and you and not be not uh you know be too dismayed or mourn for things that didn't work you have to just keep moving on you know and keep trying different things because one day it will be the right place at the right time and it will be like everybody go wow that was brilliant you go yeah because i did i did it three other times somewhere else and i tried that and it didn't yeah. work and now i've worked it i've perfected it you know and, and not be and also don't be afraid to fail i know that's a big that's the thing that people talk about a lot it's like failure is a really important part of success and you can't it's you know the point of success is just beyond the point of failure and you have to keep trying to fail to get to that point love it oh mm. Julian, sir. Oh, well, look, we've hit like the 45 minutes and it's oh, just wow. been okay. beautiful. It flew by. Right. Yeah, it's yes. flown by. Nice. Um, okay. Now I kind of get to this point and I just ask if there's any, like, to be honest, I could probably chat to you for another two hours. And I think the listeners would definitely still be kind of going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just keep asking those questions. Start keep asking charging. Questions. Start yes. charging. <laughs> <laughs> um, but have you got any people or projects or anything that you want to give a, a, a shout out to, a personal highlight or? Anyone you want to say no, hello I've, to? I not not personally. No, I well everybody I've ever worked with who been who's you know been on my side. Yes, thank you very much. You've <laughs> been great. And the people who didn't, well, next time hopefully. Uh, I think yeah, all the people. I tell you what, my the mo- one of the most important things, most satisfying things for me is when I can take part, and it's not just like you know a DOP or a director or whatever doesn't want to listen. It's being open, you know, and I try and be open if people suggest things to me. I'll take it on the thing if there's time and et cetera. So I would almost like to shout out to all those people who I've formed relationships with over the years, whether it's above me or below me or next to me, you know, for being open, for being good human beings, not being assholes or whatever, not being letting their ego destroy things yeah. and, just, you know, being positive about things and seeing through that, uh, that jungle of uh, stuff with me, I guess, in the same. Amazing. Being a partner. Amazing. Oh, and also, of course, Christina, my partner. There it is. You got to end with the love the best, of the best life. Boy you could, you the, get... the best, best boy you could have. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, ladies and gents, a fantastic episode. I, I knew it would be. Um, and it's not a summary, but I just, what I'm taking from it, it's the kind of, you know, we're all one. It's, it's, it's a process. It's not, not get bogged down in things. It's, it's about having the confidence to actually keep it simple um, and, mm. and make sure that your relationships around you are tight and, sometimes burst that bubble and go and speak to new people and, and that kind of relationship at home, just really try and keep that in check. Cause I guess, for, you know, me growing up being a runner, um, you do take it for granted and you just expect them mm. to be there and to understand. Mm. And, you know, I come mm. home and I miss the grumpy on a Saturday, but actually that mm. is a really important relationship to have. And mm. I thank you for yeah. your time. I thank you for your You're insight. Welcome. And I just, just, I've had a lovely time. Just a passing thing is that years yeah. ago, I learned how to brick lay, lay brick lay. So oh, yeah. build a wall. And the thing that they always said to me is if you don't get your first line of bricks in properly, you're never going to build a straight wall. It's always going to be. So spend the time doing the foundation work, getting it straight first time and don't rush it. And then everything will go up smoothly. Ladies and gents, that is a wrap. So that was a chat with the king or queen in the game. I give it a shout at the end so you all know the name. It's the Film Gods Podcast. The what? The Film God Podcast.